Hi, welcome to another episode of DevOps Sauna, Epic Code's DevOps podcast about all things continuous delivery, DevOps, and tooling. My name is Heidi Aho, I'm the host of the podcast, and I write content at Efficode. Now, I'll start off the podcast with a bit of a plug. Efficode had some big news last week. We were chosen as Tivi's Company of the Year for 2019. So you can go check out that news on our blog if you're interested. One of the reasons Tivi chose us as their Company of the Year for 2019 is that we have this DevOps platform called Efficode Root, which we've built from scratch which dovetails quite nicely into today's episode because I'm sitting here with Mika Aho, Efficode's root resident Merke, and a technical lead. So let's get cracking with our interview. Mika. Yeah. This is an important DevOps topic I'd like to start off with. Mm -hmm. Given we've got the same last name, do you think we're related to each other? What are the chances? 5,000 Ahos, are we family? It's a small country, and I think uh, that perhaps uh, in the like fourth generation or something like that. Who knows? Probably not. Okay, I was hoping we could string that out into like a proper thirty-minute podcast, but we might need to get on with some DevOps instead. What a shame! Um, so, could you briefly tell us how long you've been at Efficode and what you do here? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I started at Efficode back in 2015. Um, at that point, I started in software development. So, so that's kind of my background. I used to work in software de- development even before that. But at Efficode, I started with software development. Um, I think I did something like a few months of it. And then, then I started going into this kind of more uh, consulting approach with, with different kinds of tools and, well, Atlassian tools to be precise. And uh, before long, that kind of took up most of my time. And at that point, the root team was basically forming and Efficode. It wasn't called the root team yet, but it was it was kind of forming. And I transferred there. And uh, within the root team, I then started doing more and more consulting on different kinds of tools. And uh, from there, I got into like processes, uh, tool maintenance, um, and then of course, different kinds of integrations and so forth. And then as time went on and we grew and we came to the situation where we actually started to do our own research and development, mm-hmm. uh, then I saw that as a chance uh, for me to do something uh, more, to do something bigger, more interesting, and uh, went on with it. And I'm currently the, the head of research and development activities here at Efficode. Fantastic. Thanks for that. So you are perfectly poised to tell our listeners what Efficode Root is. So what is what is it? So yeah, Epicode Root is basically this service or product, actually both, that gives your organization this tailored DevOps toolkit, and uh, you get continuous maintenance and support with it. Uh, it comes with different kinds of deployment options, so we can deploy it into your uh, private data center, we can deploy it to public cloud, or a private cloud that is set up uh, by us. Um, we have a lot of experience from the field, from our uh, DevOps consultants and, and running these platforms for our customers for half a decade already. So we, we, we basically have uh, the best tools for each purpose and the, the information and, and the knowledge that we have of these tools is, is what we actually offer to our customers. 
So the idea is to, to make sure that your tools are up to date, yeah. um, they're kept functional and fast, mm -hmm. and that they're actually running 24-7. Uh, this actually means that your developers don't have to to waste time on maintaining tools because that's not their core competence. That's that's mm -hmm. not something that they should be doing. And uh, basically, because we're deploying this to so many customers, uh, the economy of scale here means that we can actually push the cost down uh, to a level that could never be achieved uh, if you had your your internal personnel oh, wow. uh, maintaining the tools. Lovely. Uh, thanks for that. I'm so stoked to have you on this podcast. I've been uh, really thirsty to have someone from the Root team uh, talk to us um, because tooling is such a huge part of software development. You literally can't do it uh, without the right tooling and it can be such a headache to sort it out, basically, if something does go wrong. So you started off your career in consulting and now moved into R&D. In your experience, how do organizations usually choose their software tools? Well, yeah, to be precise, I kind of started like coding first and then, then went into software. Okay, deal. sorry, uh, my bad. I mean consulting. But um, that being said, I kind of done enough of this, this boots on the ground type of work to have seen these different kinds of organizations um, struggling with different aspects of their tooling. Yeah. Uh, tooling is definitely not the only thing a lot of companies are struggling with, but it's uh, in in terms of modern software development, it is the biggest one in my opinion. Mm. And uh, the way people choose their tools, uh, I think there are like two approaches, generally speaking. Um, one of them is that they're kind of coming as given, uh, and that means that there are legacy tools that just have been uh, used at some point mm -hmm. and when you're starting new projects and so forth the the same tools are just kept in use so basically they're something that might not even be uh, commonly used anymore they might be uh, badly out of, of shape they mm -hmm. might not have been updated for a long while and uh, this kind of hand-me-down tools as well and then the other way is uh, that perhaps organizations might have these centralized tools, mm -hmm. but they are in such a bad shape or that they are not configurable that especially in larger organizations, these kind of black ops kind of tooling starts popping up. So different parts of the organization, different teams in there, they start uh, putting up their own uh, small tools. So a developer somewhere might, might put up his own Jenkins and, and start configuring that. Like an internal black market for tools? Or? Well, not, not exactly, but, but people are just um, installing tools for their team's personal use, basically. Mm -hmm. And what this means is that, you first of all, you have someone installing and maintaining the tool who is, uh, well, whose core competence to begin with is, is not in there. Mm -hmm. And... One of the problems there is that when this person, for example, goes on vacation or changes teams or changes uh, jobs, uh, then you suddenly have this uh, toolkit, which a lot of people are reliant on, but it's not being maintained at all. So that becomes a huge uh, problem point. So that person who goes on holiday is a constraint and basically halts everything to, related to that tool. Yeah, yeah pretty, so much, pretty much so. And we actually, uh, with a colleague of mine, Kalle, uh, we had this uh, calculation at one point 
where we started going going on about, for example, if you have an organization out of which 10% are consultants. And each of these consultants costs, let's say, 100 euros an hour, which is pretty common, let's say. Mm-hmm. So now if you have uh, a tool crashing down in the middle of the working day and no one's fixing it, how much does that cost? Because it costs you the, the amount of time it's down times the amount of consultants times their hourly fee. So it costs yeah. a lot just to have it down. Yeah, and depending on the consultant, the hourly fee could be steeper than that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, from this kind of black ops uh, point of view, the best way is to find something that would be kind of in the middle. So you would have tools that are robust, that are easy to use, that are responsive and configurable, but in a way that they're actually centrally maintained. So so that the working habits with different kinds of teams are kind of uniform and the technologies that are used are kind of uniform because there's definitely synergies in there. Fascinating. Um, you've kind of pinpointed a number of issues that do crop up. You've got this bus factor of the guy who knows how to use the tool. You've got the fact that it might be a legacy tool that isn't fit for purpose anyway. Are there any other like issues that you've seen in practice when it comes to tooling? Well, yes, definitely. Um, security upgrades is one thing that, that pops into mind. Um, sometimes you might have vulnerabilities that actually require someone to react really fast to the issue. Um, one of these things would be uh, the, the quite recent um, CPU architecture problems. And, and Can you unpack that acronym? What does that mean? Uh, well, CPU is the central processing unit. So there were right. um, problems with the architecture, which basically meant that uh, in certain environments you could access, for example, data from another virtual machine given the correct circumstances. And this is, of course, something that if your company, for example, is running tools on, on these shared virtual machines, uh, you don't want your company data to, to um, be exposed to outsiders. So you have to be really, really fast there to actually patch those uh, problems. And now if you don't have uh, a person who is responsible for the server and responsible for the tool, that doesn't happen. So yeah, definitely missing security upgrades, uh, missing missing upgrades yeah. for the tools themselves. Those are those are huge issues. Yeah, and um, why is this situation so prevalent? Because it's like suboptimal at the very best. Why why aren't people sorting out their game? Well, one of the things is that um, it's been kind of a habit for a long time for organizations, IT organizations, to handle of like their own internal stuff, the internal tools. But the amount of tools in the past hasn't been nearly this high. Uh, nowadays you need a bunch of different tools to do modern software development and this wasn't really the case let's say 10 years ago. So uh, people are kind of still stuck in the mindset that it's something that you need to do uh, internally. Is that because they want to retain that knowledge in-house? Is that seen as valuable to them? or? I, I suppose that is that is one of the reasons, yeah. But one of the reasons is being uh, that, that a lot of people still seem to think that it's something that they should be able to do. While the fact is that it's 
so complicated these days that you shouldn't do it yourself if it's not actually your core competence. So there's a bit of pride there as well, like kind of obviously I can sort out this tool, why wouldn't I be able to do this or why wouldn't our organization be able to do this in-house? Sort of, yeah, yeah, I suppose. And of course, uh, partly the the misconception of, of that this should be a thing that we can handle internally. Thank you so much for that. Um, so obviously Root is a uh, DevOps platform and it's an outsourcing option for companies uh, to outsource this whole world of tooling um, so that they can get on with building products, etc. Um, I know we've spoken about barriers already or objections that people may have, but are there any kind of specific barriers to people accepting what Root is? or what uh, a root equivalent is for their company and choosing that as like their preferred tooling option? Well, I think one of the barriers is definitely that um, these tools are such a central piece of this software development that handing them off to someone else is a risk. And to be able to accept that risk, you have to know that you can trust uh, the partner that is going to take care of it. So the partner has to be top-notch and you have to know it. Well, we obviously are, yeah. but, but like everyone has to know that. So the nature of the risk is, oh, what if this partner I've chosen gets it wrong? And what if our, we, we can't develop something for days on end? Is that the risk or are there other yeah. risks? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's exactly that. So um, there are ways to mitigate this. For example, you could set up, a, or rather, we could set up a platform, um, and the platform could be taken into use step by step. So you could take, for example, one team who transfers in there, starts doing their work there, and once they've gotten accustomed to the uh, environment, then take another team and another and another and migrate data as you go along. Because one of the kind of big risks there is that uh, you have this major blackout where everyone jumps from system A to system B within like a working day. Mm -hmm. And when something goes wrong, then you have your organization's developers doing nothing for a day or two days or three days or something like that. And but that's that a major waste. That is, is if you do it um, in, a, in a way that you, you transfer everything at once. Have you guys done that before where you've transferred an entire company at once? Uh, there have been some huge huge migrations yeah okay and but we've never really uh run into a situation where um we couldn't have done it couldn't so, so we okay. yeah so, so we've more, always succeeded in there okay so it's more a question of a company feeling comfortable with that move because it feels like such a big move yeah definitely and it has a lot to do with how the partner who is doing it is actually preparing for it the way we do migrations is that we um check out the data beforehand we do everything that we can to make sure that the migration goes fine which means that we yep. test it a million times we automate every step of the way yeah. so that when the actual migration uh time comes then all we need to do is actually just execute our automation and make sure that everything everything goes as planned. And if not, if, if something unexpected happens, then we can roll back and continue without the migration and then do another try in a few days, for example. Yeah, and I'm guessing you've done quite a number by now. 
Um, yeah, I've personally done a lot of migrations and our team has probably done hundreds of migrations by now. Yeah, there's, it's not just you and the team. How many are there in the root team in total? Well, uh, in the research and development side, there's um, a bit less than 10 of us. Uh, in the operations, there's something like 30, 35, 40 people. So we're somewhere around the 50 people mark in the root, as yeah. well as marketing and sales as well. Hearing how fluently you're talking about these issues, I'm starting to think that maybe we are long lost cousins after all. Um, okay, so we've spoken about outsourcing or like the mess that you might want to outsource uh, when it comes to software tools. But what if a company wants to build it themselves? They want the centralized kind of in integrated software production line and they want to do it in-house. Could you give them some tips on how to do that? Like real tips, like real valuable stuff, please. Absolutely, yeah. It's, it's possible to build your own tool chain. Um, I mean, our reference architecture picture, it's actually visible on epicoderoot.com. So you can go in there and, and check out what it looks like. Um, the key factor here, I think, is leveraging infra infrastructure as a code. So basically, when you are setting up your servers, when you are installing your, your software, you do not do it manually onto a server. You actually set it up as infrastructure automation using, for example, uh, Ansible or, or Salt or something like that. And uh, that, that makes it so that you can actually upgrade the instances pretty easily. Mm -hmm. and, and you can do things um, in a very, very smooth, fast fashion, as well as you then have a documentation, basically, that keeps itself up to date. Yeah. And, and you see the actual state of the servers just by observing the infrastructure as a code. But uh, then again, uh, when you do configure and integrate the tools, then you start kind of running into these, these different kinds of struggles, um, making mistakes that could and should be avoided. Are you speaking you out have... of experience here or? Uh, yeah, absolutely out of experience because um, I mean we've we've done a lot of mistakes over the years yeah, I guess, and, yeah. and we've learned from the mistakes so so we kind of know the, the worst potholes you need to avoid mm -hmm. in there for example if you manage um, user permissions in in large scale how do you do it how do you approach the problem because if you do it wrong from the get-go it's a lot ex more expensive to then later on go and, and change that instead of doing it uh, right the first time Mm. Yeah. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Um, I think we could actually talk about R&D in Ethicode route now. Um, are there any cool developments in the pipeline? Ah, of course. Yeah, that's my favorite subject, subject more or less. Um, Yay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, billion. A billion things are happening. One billion. You are currently uh, one, working on one yeah, billion things. One billion things, okay. give or take a few. Um, I always have a lot of plans. I mean, that is my job, basically, as, as the head of R&D. I, I have to figure out new ways to, to make our platform better. And uh, not all of these these ideas, of course, ever see the light of day. But there are a couple of, of developments that are being planned out right now and they will sooner or later um, be out for you guys to enjoy. For example, the root hub. So we just uh, released the root hub 
um, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. And um, it's basically this this landing page to the root platform, which allows you to uh, navigate between the different tools and, and lets you see uh, what the architecture of your platform is like. And what we plan to do is add more features upon that. So currently it's a front end which you can use to navigate, but we intend to add a back end in there as well, which would allow you to, for example, do this end-to-end completely automated project creation across the whole root platform. So for example, when you wanted a new project, uh, you simply go in there, uh, you select the name for your project, you click on the tools that you want to use, mm-hmm. you press create, and what happens is the automation goes through every tool in the platform. It creates you a group, it creates you a, let's say, Jira project, uh, a Confluence space, it can create you, for example, a, a Jenkins folder, um, like all the bits and pieces you might need to actually start work working. So uh, reduce the manual labor and, and mm. reduce um, the times you have to ask for something from somebody. So make it completely self-service to set something up. Um, another cool. very interesting thing is, is the track and drive part of things. So track and drive, which is our, um, I'd like, I like to call it framework. Basically, it's something that we use to gather data from different tools, uh, then cross-reference and, and visualize that data. So we're uh, working on coming up with new cool metrics and visualizations for that track and drive framework and, uh, well, new kinds of features. For example, yeah. uh, feature drill down, which would then let you, for example, see when you start, um, when you design a feature, when, when work starts on it, uh, when the first code commits come to your version control system uh, when you're working on it uh, when is it being tested how is it being tested and then finally when it's finished you'll be able to see how long did it actually take for this specific feature uh, um, to get done from the get-go to the finish line so there's like a whole plethora of data that you can just see very easily about that feature you're building, right? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And the thing I love about track and drive the most is that we've done a lot of like groundwork um, where we are collecting data from these different tools. And now that we have a lot of data and ways to gather it, now we can really start thinking about how can we we actually like leverage this data? What kinds of uh, deductions can we do from this? different bits and pieces of information and how can we actually visualize this in a man- manner that um, the end user finds uh, usable. Yeah, and I'm guessing the end user actually has similar questions as well once they get that data. What does this mean for my business? What does this mean for my uh, team? And that's why data is kind of like, yeah, the number gold of, of, of software development. Yeah, absolutely. The, the point here is that the whole point of the rule platform is to, to um, we, we, use, we usually call it the deliver, track and drive. So the le- deliver part basically means that you have these tools and you're able to automate things and, mm-hmm. and thus yeah. deliver software faster. Mm-hmm. Then track would be to actually get data out of the pipeline. Well, are you getting it or is it just giving it to you? Uh, well, basically, the different tools are producing the data, and our track and drive framework collects the data from okay, the, so those tools. It's not a lot of effort for users. You just see the data. 
and not for the end users, no. No. Okay, and by end users you mean uh, all the developers all and the managers developers. and and all the, everyone who would be interested in that kind of data. Okay, cool. In the organization. Uh, so yeah, gathering the data is the tracking part, and then the actual drive part would be to learn things from that data to make that delivery process even faster to learn from your own bottlenecks to learn from your own mistakes kind of like this everyone's seen the uh, devops infinity loop which goes around yeah, the and donut, you, yeah, yeah yeah you can continuously learn from your your own doing and your own mistakes but um, but the the idea here is to actually make that uh, live to make that actually happen to provide you that data so you can uh, but, but surely speed up. Okay, but surely the team needs to change something it's doing in order for that driving to happen. So in terms of the drive is actually you're changing behavior because here's the data, here's why you should change that behavior, or is there something else going on here? Well, basically it's about the uh, underlining of the problems because to be able to change the way you do something, to be able to change the way you behave, you first have to be aware of that. So we are underlying those things. And we are actually currently also moving towards these uh, intelligent early warning systems, which would uh, search for these patterns in your data and then let the end users know that, hey, we have detected this kind of a pattern mm -hmm. um, in your, your yeah. for example, source code management behavior. And this usually uh, exhibits different kinds of problems. Yeah, and I'm guessing then, even if you're busy, even if your team is busy, you'll get this alert and uh, you'll be aware of it. Yes, it's a collection of dashboards. So yeah. um, it's it's definitely going to be uh, a part of that. Thank you so much for joining me on the DevOps Sauna podcast. We hope to have you on here again next season to tell us more about FCOAT Root and software tooling and all that good stuff. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'll absolutely be here if you'll just invite me. I mean... Uh, I think it's very nice to be able to do different kinds of things uh, within your working day and, and having a podcast recording is definitely something very different from your day-to-day -day work. Yeah, um, I agree. I agree. Um, is there anything else you want to share with our listeners about Efficode Root or where they can learn more about Efficode Root, etc.? Yeah, I mean, all of our products, uh, uh, the hub, uh, track and drive, um, RTM, which is root team management, all of those are up on our web pages, evicoderoot.com. There are blogs describing uh, what they are and what they do. And uh, if you're interested, please go in there and check them out. Fantastic. Thank you for listening to our second episode of DevOps Sauna. If you're not following us on social media already, please do so at Efficode. Uh, Efimo, Efficode Roots mole mascot, is a regular on our Instagram page, so watch out for that one. And see you next time. Bye.